invite you to remain standing as you are able, as we read together from God's holy word today. We're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do. We're going to read some of our scripture. Um, I'm not going to have you stand for the whole thing because it's like 30 verses long. Um, And then we're going to sit down and we're going to just kind of dive through verse by verse. Um, This powerful scripture that is familiar, and yet God can always teach us something more. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles um, or the text on the screen or your Bibles on your phone as we read together from John chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. This is Jesus we're talking about. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And as you are, I invite you to join with me in an attitude of prayer for our word today. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is a story that many of us have heard before. It is a story that is very familiar, but it is also a story that I think sometimes we've gotten wrong. So I want us to take a look verse by verse and take a look at what this story has for us today. Jesus had to go through Samaria the scripture says. That word there for had is a word that is akin in Greek to what we would say compelled. Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria. He was driven to go through Samaria, even though many people did not go through Samaria when they were going to Judea, from Judea to Galilee. As you can see here on the map, Jesus's route is the more direct route in green, but most of the Jewish people, when they needed to travel from Judea to Galilee, they would go around Samaria. There was a tense history, as we will see later on in our scripture, a tense history between the Samarians and the Jewish people. They had different beliefs about correct worship, about salvation, about what it meant to be God's chosen people and who God's chosen people were. And because of this, there was lots of tension. There was sometimes fights that arose and violence that came out of that. And so most Jewish people like Jesus did not go through Samaria. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was compelled to go through Samaria because in his journey, he would have an encounter in Samaria that would change and transform lives. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. We're referring to Jacob and Joseph from the Old Testament in Genesis. There at that place,
This Jake was Jacob's well. It was the well where the Jewish people believed that Jacob had encountered Rachel. Um, this well that had been the site and the seed for their love. But today it would be the site for another encounter. Another encounter that, like Jacob and Rachel's encounter, would change a lot of lives. So at Jacob's well there, Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. This little phrase, it was about noon, is an interesting phrase because for the people of, of ancient times, the people that had to go and draw water from wells, they normally would not go at noon. They normally would not go in the middle of the day because it was hot. Because out in the wilderness, it was a tough, tough thing to travel in the middle of the day with the heat beating down and the sun pouring upon people as they carried heavy, heavy jars. But about noon is when Jesus was there and a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well there at noon. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So a question that arises then is if people normally didn't go to draw water at, in the middle of the day, why was this woman doing that? Particularly for women, the early morning time when they would go and draw water from the well was not only a means by which they could get water to satisfy the thirst of their families, but it was also a means by which they could have community. When they would gather together around the well in the morning, it was a time of belovedness, a time of community, a time for chit-chat, a time to vent about life and to know that they were not alone in the really back-breaking, sometimes literally, work of their lives. But this particular woman does not come in the early morning with all the other women. She comes at noon. She comes by herself. Perhaps she did not want to face the other women. Because as we'll find out later in the story, or as many of us may know, she was a bit of an outcast amongst women. But as she came to draw water from the well, she had an encounter not like those of women in the morning whose jeers and sneers may have cut her to her core. But instead, she encounters Jesus, who says to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food, John tells us, which means that Jesus and the woman were there alone. Now, it was odd in the first place for Jesus to be talking to a woman but it was especially odd for him, a Jewish man, to be talking to a Samaritan woman. And it was even odder the fact that they were alone and he was talking to her. The woman was as flabbergasted as anyone would have been in that culture and time. 
And she said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Again, like that early illustration illustrates, there was a lot of tension that came in the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Separation, boundaries that had been drawn, lines in the sand, and yet here is Jesus speaking with this woman. And in response to her question, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's another confusing thing for this conversation because living water at the time meant water that was flowing. Living water was water like a river or a stream. It was water that had movement. And the whole reason why they needed a well was because that kind of water didn't exist anywhere. And so the woman is very confused saying to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Are you greater than Jacob who created this well? How are you going to create or bring about or provide this living water? Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them like a spring gushing up. Some translations say bubbling up to eternal life. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The well was more than water for this woman. The well and the journey each day carrying a heavy jar long distances in the heat of the day. It was more than water. It, it was this symbol of this life that she lived. Each and every day having to do this work, this back-breaking work. Each and every day having to live a life that was unsatisfying. A life filled with the sneers of others, perhaps. A life filled with monotony, a life filled with the mundane, a life that weighed her down like that jar weighed down upon her body. And she's thirsty for more. She wants more than that life than the jar could contain. She wants that water that Jesus is talking about. Water that will enable her to never have to come back to that well. That will release her from this life that she has lived that weighs her down day after day. Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty, but also so that I won't have to keep coming back here for all that that symbolizes. 
She's thirsty for new life, and Jesus knows this. He knows her life that weighs her down. And so he goes to speak into it. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right to say, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And here's where the character of the woman, the life that she would have lived, comes to be illustrated in our minds. Jesus asks her to grab her husband and she says that she doesn't have one. And he speaks into her, he recognizes in her what many would have known at the time that she's had five husbands. Now she often, this woman gets painted as someone who was loose, someone who needed a lot of forgiveness for what she had done. But what we forget is that at that time, women did not control their marital status. It was the men who would marry. It was the men who could have a divorce. It was the men who had the control in that. And so the fact that she has had five husbands means that either she has been abandoned by the men in her life, or they have died. But regardless of why she is the way that she is now, whether the man that she is with is with her because it's a leveret marriage arrangement, which at that time in the Jewish law, if a man were to die, his brother would take in and marry his wife uh, to keep her from poverty, whether that was what is going on here or whether she has simply had men leave her, there still would have been questions as there have been from preachers in the past over why exactly that was. What did she do to make the men leave or what did she do to cause the men to die? Is, is she cursed? Is that a sin that she or her family committed that has enabled her to live this life that is less than fulfilling? You can just hear the voices of those that gossip and sneer, the voices of the women around the well early in the morning that she wishes to avoid. But Jesus, Jesus simply speaks into her life. He doesn't say that she needs to be forgiven for something. He doesn't condemn her, judging her, saying that it was something that she did or a sin that she committed. He simply speaks into her life saying that what she has said, this claim that she has made, is true. And the woman recognizes then something in his voice, in his hearing and receiving of her story that is different than those that have heard it before. And she says to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. And our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. You are a prophet. 
She knows, she knows that there is something about him who is able to speak into her life in this different way. There is something about him that is powerfully anointed by God, but they are separated by these religious boundaries that have been placed. It is as if she is asking them, him about, about these boundaries. What is it that separates us? How can you be a prophet when we have these different religious experiences or these different places of worship or these different traditions or doctrines? How is it that we are so separate when I see in you someone who is liberating me? And Jesus said to her, woman, a term of endearment from Jesus and John's gospel. Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It is as if in response to her question, in response to her wondering how this prophet could still be separated from her by these religious boundaries or frustrations, Jesus said, that doesn't matter anymore. In me, that does not matter. The time is coming when where we worship and how we worship, that doesn't matter. What, worship, what matters is God seeking people who wish to worship in spirit and in truth. Those who seek, who seek real and righteous relationships with God. That is all that matters. That is all that matters. The Father seeks such as these to worship him. Jesus has sought out this woman. This woman who is yearning. This woman who is thirsty. This woman who knows that the Messiah is coming. She says there in verse 25 in response to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. She knows that this day is coming when things will be transformed. That is what the prophets have foretold. And she is looking towards it. She knows that. But she is thirsty for more. She is thirsty, she is yearning for that day, for that encounter with God, for that transformation that the Messiah has promised. And Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. I am he, some translations simply say I am. I am, the ancient words that recognized God's very presence. In this, Jesus reveals himself to this woman, this five times married 
Samaritan woman going to draw water in the middle of the day, this woman that is an outcast, this woman whose life is in shambles, this woman who is weighed down and thirsty for more, Jesus reveals himself to her, speaks into her life for the first time in John's gospel. She is the first one who knows who he is. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with the woman again like she had been. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. She becomes the first one in John's gospel to tell people about Jesus. The first evangelist. The first to know who people, who Jesus was. And it begins with him revealing himself to her. And as he did, as he reveals himself to her, and as he speaks into her life, she is able to leave behind her jar. That jar that she carried with her every single day. That jar that held not only water, but also held words, sneering words that held her grief at the loss of her husbands, at the loss of her relationships, at the loss of the life that she wanted. The jar that held her fears and anxieties and shame. The jar that weighed her down and prevented her from living life to its fullest because the jar was filled with water that did not satisfy because she had a life that did not satisfy. But she is able in that moment to leave the jar behind. She is able to leave that jar behind because Christ has seen her. He has seen her. He has loved her. And he has invited her to leave all that guilt and shame and weight behind so that she can be free to be the person that he wants her to be. So that she can be free to be a part of his work of transforming the world, of his work of bringing living water, sustaining life to all people. She is able to leave that jar behind because that grace that he gives is bubbling over and brushing forth. And because in that encounter, she is not only able to see him in front of her, but to see him in herself. There's a piece of artwork that's really powerful called The Woman at the Well by Seeger Coder. And what I love about this artwork, this envisioning of the woman leaning over that dark well, looking at the water there at the bottom, is that if you look down at the well, 
It is not only her image that is reflected back to her, but Christ is reflected back to her as well. Because in that encounter, in Jesus seeing her and in him allowing her to see him, she is able to then reflect him to the world. As she leaves behind all that had told her that there was no way that she could be a reflection of the divine. In that moment, in that encounter, in the words of Olu Brown, Jesus brought her from surviving to thriving. She was merely surviving on water and on a life that would not sustain her. But in that encounter with Jesus, as he saw her and spoke into her life with words not of judgment, but of truth, words of him, she is able to leave behind all that holds her back and experience life anew. Friends, today I hope that whatever jars you find yourself holding, whatever in your life is weighing you down, that you will know that God does not wish for you to be weighed down, that God does not wish for you to feel overcome by shame and by words of hurt and judgment, whether that is judgment of others or judgment of yourself. God wishes for us to find thriving life, to find and discover the grace that bubbles up and gushes forth so that we can live the life that God wishes for us, so that we can leave those jars behind and go forth and share that new life, that redeemed life, that transformational life and hope with a world that is in desperate need of it. It is my hope and my prayer today that you can know the grace of God that bubbles up. Because when that happens, we can all experience life anew. And our part in the story of God's transformational world. Let us pray. God, you know our hearts, you know our hurts, you know our hopes and our dreams, our griefs and our sorrows. You know what weighs us down and breaks our backs. And so I pray today, God, that you will release those heavy jars from our grasp, that you will speak into our hearts and minds that we are loved, that you will break down the barriers that keep us from one another and release us for the calling that you have in our lives. 
that as you reveal to us who you are, that we can see ourselves in your work and that we can see you in our reflection, that we can bear witness to your presence and that all who are carrying those heavy jars can lay them down and be a part of the grace that gushes forth from your well of living water. Amen.